Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. I may as well just say it. I was a little skeptical going into this episode number 75. To be honest, I was a little squeamish, maybe even, and a little defensive because we're going to be talking about cruelty-free design, which means alternatives to leather and fur. And I got to be honest, I love a gorgeous leather ottoman. So there was part of me that didn't really want my eyes opened. Um, you know, once you're a pickle, you can't be a cucumber anymore. I don't know if you've ever heard me say that before, but you know, once you know something, you can't unknow it. And that's how I feel after this interview. You likely know who Deborah Rosenberg is because she really is an authority in the vegan design category. She's a luxury interior decorator. She's a published author. She's done television, educational speaking, and she's highly involved in the vegan design movement. Her luxury design firm, Damari Design, has over 15 years experience and has evolved into becoming the first 100% vegan interior design practice. I didn't really know what that was uh, completely until after the conversation with Deborah, and I found it reassuring to know that she wasn't trying to convince all of us to completely transform our practices, but rather, maybe this is information we can add to an existing practice that appeals to some of our clients, or maybe it appeals to you so much you want a niche or niche, <laughs> depending on where you're from, and do this full time. There are parts of the conversation that I think are extremely difficult to hear when it comes to Deborah's description of how animals are treated during some of the processing, if you can use such a term. And I guess I would say that really the interview helped me see that there is a price to pay for making these unconscious choices. Um, and I can't say I'm going to be 100% cruelty-free ever, but I am committed to discussing this option with clients and making some different choices in my own life, which is the right thing for me at this time. You're going to hear Deborah refer to a course that she offers. And before we offer any course at Business of Design to anyone or recommend it, I like to take it myself. So I did take the cruelty-free course. It was very easy to take. Uh, it didn't require a lot of effort on my part. It has an affordable price tag. And I must say, I did learn a lot. I, there's a discussion around greenhouse gases and climate change. Um, Certainly the most challenging parts of the course for me were the inhumane practices within the leather industry. And then the course ends talking about how you can even brand yourself if this becomes an important part of who you are. So I do think it's worth taking. And Deborah has kindly offered this course to Business of Design listeners uh, if you use the promo code BOD20. BOD20. I will be honest and say there is one issue that's not resolved for me, and I don't think it's resolved for Deborah yet either, but it is on her horizon. And that has to do with the origin of some of the products that are being offered as ethical, replacing animal skins and leathers. Um, I understand if I'm choosing a natural plant material like sisal or bamboo, that can be a good choice. 
but I'm less comfortable falling back on petroleum-based products, which I think are really harmful to the environment and human beings. So as with many complicated issues, I don't think we have 100% of the answers, but I do think this is really important to start exploring. And I think about the fact that sustainable design was not something any of us were talking about 15 or 20 years ago, really. And now a lot of clients are asking about that. So I see this maybe as the same thing, maybe 5, 10, 15 years from now, this will be a standard practice that we'll all be talking about. I guess I was learning so much from Deborah as I was talking to her during this interview, I totally forgot to ask her for a design intervention. So I'm going to throw one out there this week. I got an email from a client uh, this week that showed her living room, her great room just off her kitchen um, with her two daughters in it. And they had covered all the furniture with colorful throws and their toys were everywhere. And they were really using the space. And my client sent a funny little note that the girls thought they knew better than we did how the room should look. So on the Facebook page, I have our professional photograph of the room, and then I have my client's children using the room. And I have to say between the two, the girls win hands down. It pleased me very much that my client sent this photo because I know that these rooms, although I think they're beautiful, are also being used in a very real way. And I'm super lucky because I'm going on to do a third project for this family. And uh, that's going to be starting on Monday. So life is good at the moment. I hope it's good for you too. Hey, Cheryl, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm good. I have some blocked time and I'm getting some things done. So that feels good. I like days like that. And I'm drinking a lot of coffee. Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a couple of days uh, of catch up as well. My inbox for all of my email accounts are are getting really tiny, which feels so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Actually, you and I have a similar strategy with our inbox where we only have things in there that need to be taken action on. It's a to-do list. Yeah. So somebody's actually asked me if I will share how we do that at some point. So that's coming up on the podcast, but not right now. Right now, what's coming up on the podcast are announcements. Uh, We actually have a really busy fall coming up. So our next group coaching session is on September 5th and registration is open. So if you're a premium member, you can sign up for that. Uh, Send me your uh, pressing questions, whatever is currently happening on your job sites, and we'll get Kimberly to answer those for you live on September 5th. Um, and then Texas, we've just opened registration for our next meetup. So it's actually already filling up pretty quick, but October 25th and 26th, you're heading to Texas right after the Palm Springs retreat. So busy fall for you. This will be my first time in Austin, so I can't wait. Of course, I have a very close friend in Dallas and been to the wonderful city of Dallas many, many times. So I'm looking forward to that. And then in Houston, we'll see Veronica Solomon. So it's a win, win, win. These are free events, but do sign up in advance. So our hosts know how much coffee or wine, depending on time of day, they need to have on hand and come ready to have some pretty deep dive conversations about the business of design. Go to businessofdesign.com to register. And I look forward to seeing you there. 
Oh, before I forget, there is one more thing really exciting. October 12th, it's a Friday at 1 p.m. I will be hosting a podcast live from High Point, High Point Market. If you're a Business of Design member and you're going to be at High Point Market, please reach out to us. I want you to be on the podcast. We are going to have a lively discussion with Business of Design members at The Point, Friday, October 12th at 1 p.m. at The Point at High Point Market. I will also be on stage on October 13th, which is a Saturday at noon on the ASID stage, and I'll be part of a panel discussion, and when we have more information about that, we'll let you know. But by all means, if you're going to be in High Point on that Friday, I need you as my guest. Thanks, Cheryl. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. and were able to turn your what was kind of a personal passion into a career. So can we talk about that today among other things? Deborah, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Kimberly. Of course, we can talk about that. Okay. So first, give us quickly, what was your background in interior design from the beginning? Okay. Well, my background in interior design was nothing. (laughs) I have absolutely no schooling at all in, in interior design. I was, um, I have 22 year old twins, uh, twin girls, and I was a full-time mom, um, till they went to school. And, um, I always liked decorating, you know, as many people do as a hobby. And I was looking for actually for part-time work while they were in school. And I decorated a friend's home as a favor. And um, we did some spaces in her house. And her neighbor called, her neighbor neighbors called, her cousin called. And before I knew it, I had all these people wanting me to help them decorate their home. That's so cool. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But I was thinking of another New Yorker. You're originally from New York. You must know who Vincent Wolfe is. Yes. Okay. I've, I've uh, interviewed him a bunch of times. He's a great guy and no formal training at all and super, super talented. So it's really not about that. For some people, they just have a knack and they have a gift. So it sounds like you do. Yeah, it's funny. If someone had told me that I would be an interior designer, I would have laughed, you know, 20 years ago because it's really something I had never thought about at all. And um, it just kind of happened. It was very organic, I guess is the word to use. It really was. And it, I, I loved it. You know, it was just, I felt so privileged to be doing something that was so exciting. And I remember the first time I got paid, I didn't even know what to charge people. I mean, I was a young <laughs> mom and, and I remember I took someone uh, to a fabric store 
for a couple hours to pick fabrics. And I didn't even know what to charge her. I didn't even ask her. She just gave me a check, I think, for $200. I stared at this check like it was $10 million because it was such a great feeling, you know? And I just remember the excitement, like, oh, my God, I was just spent three hours with this woman, and I had so much fun, you know, in this store with her. And here she gave me a check, you know? And it was just... I just have those memories and they're great. That's amazing to be able to hold on to that. So obviously your business evolved and somehow you became uh, incredibly um, inspired by and wanted to support the industry around animals. Is that how the vegan design kind of moniker came to you? Yes. I mean, as, as I say, everything in life is a process and everything is timing and, you know, I'm not a believer in accidents and all those expressions, but it's really true. That's how I do live my life in that way. And, um, I've been designing now for about 15 years and yes, my business has grown to tremendously compared to that one time in the fabric store. And um, I'm very thankful for that. I was a designer on TLC for a couple of years, and that was great experience as well, talking about learning things on the fly because you're under such pressure for time, and it really teaches you a lot. And um, we've always loved animals in my family. I mean, we've always had pets, and, and our pets are, are a very integral part of our lives. They're just as important as any person in our family. And um, I never really made the connection between furniture and animal abuse and slaughter. And um, I started getting involved with animal rights organizations such as PETA and other ones locally here in Miami and uh, in New York as well. And, um, you know, you were always getting those videos on social media, you know, how you get 100 videos a day from so many different platforms, right? So many different companies. Mm -hmm. And I never opened any of the ones from the animal rights organizations. I'm sure if I really wanted to be honest with myself, I guess I wasn't ready to see them. You know, I still preferred living in my oblivion. Right. And one day I just turned on a video and it was about dog leather. And, uh, you know, China's the leading exporter of leather. And uh, leather in China can be cows, dogs, cats, anything really, you know, with a higher skin. And uh, I was watching a video about the China Dog Yulon Festival. I don't know if you know about that. That's, um, it takes place every year in China. Uh, they slaughter 10,000 dogs and um, they're slaughtered horrifically. And it's believed that they, in China they eat uh, dog meat. You know, here we eat cows, there they eat dogs. And they believe that the dog meat is much more potent and powerful during this festival, during this tradition that's hundreds or thousands of years old. And I was just watching a video of, <clears throat> excuse me, dogs, just sorry to say this, but being boiled, skinned, and completely dismembered, fully alert and alive. And it just, it was traumatic for me. And, um, you know, even when I say the words, I sometimes can't believe that I'm actually saying those words because right now the second that's happening, the right. second. It's actually really and hard to hear it. I, I, it's hard I, to hear, yeah. I yeah, warned everybody at the beginning of the show that it was somewhat graphic. Um, right. and it's even Well, that's the only graphic part I'm going to yeah, talk about. Even knowing uh, it was coming, it's, it's hard to hear. So you were somebody who felt that your eyes were opened and suddenly you had to take action. And yes, when you took yes. that first action, did you have any idea it was going to lead you down a new path with your business? And what was the yes. first action? 
No, because really there was no thought. Part. I mean, it was like a toddler changing its mind that he wants a piece of bread or a peanut, you know. Um, I, I saw that video and I just, it stuck with me. It stuck with me and it, it changed me. It literally changed me and my life. It's, I mean, it was that dramatic for me, really. It was a, it was a turning point. It was a pivotal moment in my life. I'm 55 years old and this happened a couple years ago. And I just said, that's it. Um, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not using animals, anything made with animals. I just couldn't. I saw, as we say, the dark side. I mean, I just couldn't. How can I, how can I create a leather sofa? How can I do, you know, fur or feather or down or wool or silk? I just couldn't because then clearly as I got to learn more and see more, you know, it just, it's, it's unfathomable that we are capable of doing what we do. So how could I be so um, hypocritical and, you know, on one, in one moment being involved in all these animal rights organizations and loving our pets and the next moment, you know, buying something that's made from down, you know? Right. So I just completely transitioned my my firm completely. And it was really like starting a new business. Okay. Because all my sourcing, everything changed. You know, I, I now had to find materials, high-end beautiful materials that were not made from animals. I admire your conviction. I mean, I was vegetarian for a while for a similar reason. And then, of course, one day I went backwards. So the point of this episode is not to be judgmental about even cultural differences that, you know, we're not going to judge what people do in China because it's different culturally than what we do. But I think what's fascinating here and what's admirable is you took this conviction that you got suddenly almost like an epiphany and then you you took action and so the action was you were going to completely transform and remodel your business how receptive were your clients to that transition and did you share with ongoing clients that this is something you were going to start doing no i did not share it with ongoing ongoing clients and i still get clients that have no idea that our company is vegan, although our website is, I mean, I don't think we can display it any more than we, than we can on, it's like a New York Times ad, you know, that I think every page somehow relates to, you know, cruelty-free um, design. But people still hire me just because they love the work we do. And so we still have those clients. And then, of course, now we have a whole new, uh, different demographic of clients that are very, very um, active in animal rights. And so they hire us for that reason. So we still have the two very different, distinct clients. And so the ones that don't know that we're vegan, it's never really brought up until the, until the project finishes. And then we let them know. Wow. And do you think you might meet resistance from letting them know in advance? Do you think they might say, oh, this sounds a little bit new agey. I, I'm not touching this. You know, after being in the business so many years, you kind of have a really good feel about people. And, and you know, to, for me, design is really, it's all psychology in my mind, you know, uh, mm-hmm. besides, of course, having good taste and, you know, knowing placement and dimensions and all that kind of stuff. To me, it's all psychology. And um, maybe that's because I don't have the schooling and I kind of treat the business um, as a mother, you know, that it has to be very functional and pretty, but it has to be functional because I have kids and pets. And, 
it's also psychology and, you know, what is the nucleus of the home? And then I kind of work out. That's really how I, in my mind, I start my projects. I always start from the nucleus of a space, office, wherever, and then I work out, you know, which who knows if that's even, it must be a weird way for a lot of designers listening, but that's what works for me. And so when I meet clients and I start with them, I can kind of feel if they're going to be, um, open and appreciative of the fact that we're using cruelty-free um, textiles and accessories. Um, and if I feel they're not, I'm still showing them very, very expensive, beautiful faux alternatives. My mind is reeling with, you know, initially I'm thinking I understand the leather, but I didn't take it down the path of all the other things that are going to fall under this category. So I want to go down two paths for the listeners. And one, I want to talk about just the idea that you could take your passion and create a niche. And that's super cool and super interesting. And I think sometimes it's a way to be ultra successful. So there's that path I want to go down. And then the second path I want to go down is also like, what are some practical things that we can do to start introducing this concept into our clients' uh, projects? So for example, how would I know if the leather on a pillow is dog leather versus cow leather? How can I begin to become savvy about that kind of thing? You will never know that because what happens is most of the leather comes from China. Then it's tanned in India. And it's also tanned in China as well. It's all mixed. It's sold as, quote, leather. It's not going to say this comes from a dog, this comes from a cat, this comes from a seal, this comes from a cow. It's sold as leather. So gloves, even clothing, they could be dog leather. Am I a bad person because I'm sitting here thinking, why did you have to tell me this? Why, why, why do I have to know this? You know what I call it? I call it tag your it. And I use that a lot in business with anyone. You know, tag your it. I told it, you know, but here's the thing, Kimberly. Everything, we're only answerable to ourselves. And I say this all the time because you really are. You're really... It's, it's whatever, as long as you put your head on the pillow at night, I say, and I tell this to my kids, as long as you know you, you did the honorable thing during the day, you were honest, you had integrity, and you, you feel good about your decisions. We're all going to screw up in life. We all make bad decisions. We all make mistakes. We all, you know, all of us are human. But as long as for the most part you feel like you did the good, right thing, then that's, you're answerable to yourself in life. I'm, I'm a firm believer of that. You're now, you know, you don't have to become a vegan just because your boyfriend's a vegan or because you want to seem like you look good in front of other people. You're answerable to yourself. Um, I just spoke at the Seed Food and Wine Festival, and um, it was amazing because, you know, you're surrounded by all these very interesting people, but you all have one thing in common. You all love animals, and you all, you know, love the environment because it's not only about the animals. I think that's what people... You know, they, they hear and they say, oh, it's about the animals. It's really not. I mean, the conditions, um, you know, we write a lot of um, articles for all different publications. And we just wrote an article on the inhumane treatment of workers in these fur farms and, and far- the farms right here in the Midwest. What they have to sign off on, leukemia, lymphoma, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, the water in the whole area, everything is, is toxic. They're in tanneries. They're, they have their infected, filthy conditions being bitten by wild animals. I mean, it's just terrible. And then clearly then that spills over onto the environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the planet, you know, an acre a second of land is being torn down for um, farms, for cattle to be grazed on, to then be slaughtered for human consumption. So 
it's just, it's not only animals. Right. That's people and it's about the planet as well. And the thing is, I want to be able to make some informed choices. And I guess I've been hiding under the banner if it's North American made, if it's higher end, then certainly those brands and those suppliers will be monitoring this for me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I eat meat, so I've never had a problem with using leather from the meat that we eat because that seems like a byproduct, and that's where I draw the line. But I I would make different choices if I had more information. So once we decide that, hey, we're going to now take the blinders off, and I'm, I definitely want to warn everybody at the beginning of this episode, oh my gosh, this is like a rabbit hole that I just feel like I fell down into. I can't believe how naive I feel right now. But let's say I'm willing, the blinders are off, and I'm willing to make some positive changes in my business that I think clients will appreciate. What are some simple things I can do that will make a difference? Sure. There's a lot of simple things. And I first just have to address the point you just said, that skins are a byproduct of the meat industry. That is 150% false. Skins, the skin and hides industry is a global industry. Nearly a billion animals are killed yearly just for their skins and hides completely. So you have seals, kangaroos, dogs, cats, anything with the skin is killed just for the hides. It has nothing to do as being a byproduct of the meat industry. So I just wanted to make that clear because that's a misconception that has been marketed beautifully to the world and it's just not true. So there, sorry to tell you that, but I had to because I felt compelled because you said that because I think most people believe that. Yeah. So let's go now to tips. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. So tips. Um, First thing is faux leathers. There are so many great faux leathers out there. So designers, like if you go into any of your showrooms, Kravit, Philip Jeffries, and Holly Hunt, they have fantastic faux leathers. They were initially, it's funny, years ago, we thought of faux leathers only being used commercially, you know, because they're stronger and sturdier. But nowadays, they're making such fantastic faux leathers that are beautiful and they can have any kind of skin look. They can have the crocodile look, the Hermes look, whatever you want, any color. So that's a very simple thing to do. And what's great about the faux um, products are is that they're durable as heck because they don't scratch like real leather. They don't smell like real head leather. And most of them, you can, are, they're, they're not porous. I mean, they're, they're almost like a commercial grade, mm-hmm. but yet they're soft and buttery and they're stretchy and they're manageable. So they're great for upholstered goods as well. And you're so right. They've they're improved so, right. They've so improved much so the technology oh God, of how they're made, right? Oh, they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're just beautiful. I mean, my entire home is completely vegan. And no one would ever think that the leather on the chairs is, I mean, they know me, so they, they know that it's not real. But a stranger coming into the home wouldn't think for a second that those chairs are not real leather. Not for a second. Okay. So that's one way. The second way is uh, area rugs. Uh, typically, you know, in the past, we used to, I used to use a lot of silk rugs because, you know, there's nothing like that gorgeous silk and wool mix because that sheen, that elegance, that yumminess. So now I'm using tensile. I'm using banana fibers. Uh, banana silk is a very popular rug. Um, it's made from the, the, the leaves of the banana plant, and it has that silky wool. It's beautiful. It's got the sheen. It's got the density. It's the same with tensile. Tensile is made from the pulp of the eucalyptus trees, and it's also that you're using recycled plastic as well. 
And you would never know in a million years that it's not silk. Every area rug of my home is either banana silk or tensile, and you would never know, not in a second. Wow, okay. And another um, way is down alternatives. Again, down there's so many great down alternatives out there, and you just um, there's all different ones. You know, there, there's um, there's rubber kapok. There's there's feathers that look like and feel like down alternatives. They're just a mix of polymers and all this different kind of stuff. But they're faux. Uh, there's a company called Celeste that I like their inserts a lot. They're very very good in um, faux down. Um, because also, you know, for your clients, most of Americans, unfortunately, are sick. You know, we all have a sickness. We're obese. We have diabetes. We have allergies. Um, so going faux, as far as allergies are, is, is great because you don't have the dust. You don't have the, you know, feathers create dust. Right. And sleeping on a pillow, like even before this, when I had clients with allergies or I have clients who have challenges such as autism, I would never use bedding made with feathers because they're very sensitive. Uh, most of this population, I would always use faux. And this was before I knew anything. Now, do you have any reservations about anything that's a, a plastic or anything that's a byproduct well, that's of a petroleum? Next, well, that's the like, next layer. Yeah. You know, we're first, we're first focusing on things that are not made with animals. You know, in a year, within this year, when our next layer is now delving into that into trying to see, to, to using fabrics that are as clean as possible without any chemicals on them. But that's going to be a whole other education for us. But that is the goal. Um, but right now we try to use things that are not strongly chemically treated because also we want, we look into, we try to look into most of our fabrics to make sure that they're not producing a lot of pollution when they're being created. Thank you for that. Those changes feel like I could manage them and I wouldn't have to, you know, necessarily brand myself as a vegan designer, but it feels like, okay, when given a choice, I can make some smarter choices, which would make me feel good. And for some clients, I think they're really going to appreciate that for sure. Um, So thank you for, you know, bringing that to my attention. I don't think I ever would have thought of that. How did you know this was going to ultimately be a viable business or did you even care? Did this just feel like something you so had to do? I literally put as much thought into this as like eating a piece of chocolate, you know? (laughs) Okay. So you just said, I don't care, you know, damn the consequences. I'm doing this. God damn it, I'm eating the whole chocolate bar. (laughs) I just, um, I just, I I literally just jumped off a cliff and did it, which really, from a business standpoint, it was probably the stupidest thing in the world, but I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't go back. I just couldn't, it wasn't an option for me, it just wasn't. Well, what do you think about people then creating niches for themselves um, or niches, depending on where you're listening to this from? What do you think about them creating these spaces for themselves where they narrow their focus uh, to reach clients who are like-minded? How can that be more profitable than being someone who appeals to everyone? I think that when you create a niche for yourself or niche, again, depending where we're from, um, I think that your passion is so strong when you create that niche that that's what takes over your business and that's how you be that's how you stand out from others and i think in the long run that is where you can really tremendously grow your business everything is at our fingertips nowadays everything everything it's you can get anything you want so what's going to make someone choose me as opposed to the other thousands of designers who are all terrific and wonderful and kind and nice and the fees are all about the same. Well, there has to be something that connects 
that person to me. I would say right? I would say that that absolutely is a way to grow your profitability. That you are absolutely going to. We've had different marketing experts on. Bruce Philp was on, and he was saying it kind of a different way. But when you are presenting an authentic version of yourself, there are people who will be attracted to that authentic yes. version, and they will come and find you. As opposed to so many of us, when we get started in business, we just want every single customer, and so our websites become this beige, bland, and you know I can do anything place instead of being someone who says, you know, I thrive in beach houses. That's what I do, beach houses. Or I do small high rise condominium development. That's what I do. That's the only thing I do. And I'm really good at in your case, it's drilled down even further that you are vegan and cruelty free in terms of being a designer. So if you're listening and you're thinking, could I take my business and could I niche it? Um, The answer I think is absolutely. And I think to really great success. Yes, I agree. There was a point a couple of years ago where I was becoming very uninspired in my work, very unhappy. And it was concerning me um, because I like to believe I'm a positive person, but I was really um, waking up not thrilled. My clients, you know, as you're getting more higher and higher end clients, you know, it's demanding and which of course they, they have every right to be demanding. They're giving you a lot of money, you know, and, um, but I was just not feeling great. And uh, this has given me a whole new life and world, and it's exciting. And every day I'm talking to great people, look like you. I never would have met you or spoken to you if, if my company hadn't been vegan, because what would make me so different than all the other people that you meet in an interview? So it's been wonderful. And once you do something. And it all sounds so cliche. Sometimes when I hear myself speak, I'm like, oh my God, I sound like a Hallmark card. But, you know, I really do think that once you find your, what your mojo, you know, the people that are going to come into your life and the business opportunities are just phenomenal. I mean, you still have to be super focused on that and work your tush off, you know? Um, but the rewards are amazing. And I'm sure some listeners are going to be really intrigued by this and some are going to want to put the blinders back on. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. And I appreciate both sides of that. But for people who want more information, I know you have a a website. Um, Tell me about the website and what I can learn there. Certifiedcruelty-free.net. And we have a course for other designers It's accredited. It is $40. It is so inexpensive. We talk about a lot of really good things mixed in with cruelty-free design. We give lots of resources. And we also talk about branding and marketing yourself, you know, how to get yourself into a niche. And it's been a very well-received course. We're very excited. We have participants from all over the world. And um, we have a Facebook page. They can connect with one another. A group just formed in the UK from the course of designers. And um, so it's been wonderful. And yeah, the course is great. Um, I'm really proud of it. It's got a lot of great information. Again, if you're thinking of taking the course, I did take it myself. I do think that there is a $40 value there for sure. Use the promo code BOD20 and let us know what you think. We'd love to know how you incorporate this into your practice or your thoughts on how this might work in the future. 
thank you so much. I kind of stepped into this thinking, I wasn't really sure. Um, <laughs> I, you know, got to be honest with you, I wasn't sure. And everybody said, oh, no, you're going to love Deborah. You're going to love Deborah. And I do love Deborah. And I would, I hope that right. we will meet. You're in Miami. I'm in Los Angeles and Toronto. So we were on three corners of North America. Well, but, I'm in LA a lot. Oh, you are? Okay. Will you yeah. please let me know when you're there? Let's go for coffee. Um, we'll go for fair organic trade coffee. Okay. <laughs> I know I can find that in Santa Monica easy. <laughs> you know, I do, I do hope that some people take the course because it really, it teaches you a lot. And, you know, we do, we focus on branding and marketing a lot, really whatever your niche is as well, because, you know, as we were talking before, niches, in my opinion, the way to go. Yeah, I can't agree with you more, really. I can't. Just thank you so much. I look forward to that coffee in Venice Beach or Santa Monica or wherever we end up. But please let me know next time you're in L.A. And uh, please come back on the show, if you will. I would love that. I would just love it. As you can tell, I'd love to talk about it. (laughs) All the best. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.